Welcome back to Sis of Minus Trivia, the podcast where we sometimes lose the game. I'm Brent. I'm super high energy this week, just for you. I'm low energy. j that was... That was like a uh, Macho Man Randy Savage kind of a... <laughs> oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! High energy! <laughs> <Just like Jim. laughs> Snap into a podcast! Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Yeah, he's guys. He is so energetic. No, no. Oh, it's all right. We can't. We can't see him because he's up. Oh, right. <laughs> is it? Is it your I am a douche shirt? No. Do you want me to send you a picture? Of no. Did we? Did we say on air that that Faith actually made an I am a douche shirt for you? And yeah, we, have, we, yeah, we okay. Did. Remind yeah. me to make that it's on photo. Twitter. Right. That is. Yeah, it is. Okay. We we need to make that photo your profile photo for the, the bio. We do. We do. That would be perfect. Because I think it's still the one where you have come on your nose. Hey. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm just saying. Hey, come on, Randy. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. No. No. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh. Peyton, oh. what are you drinking? Water. What? Yeah. I'm not feeling well. So water for me. Wow. You're low energy. <laughs> That's what I he's, said when he's sick. we started the podcast and I'm low energy. Jesus. I hope Brent harasses you as much as he did me last week. You better be high energy when we get into this. How about how about how about I freaking, you know, kick your ass? How's that That's sick? a little bit you higher energy try. than you were last week or le- no, two weeks ago. No, I would have kicked Peyton's ass last week if that would have proven my high energy. No, nah, I don't know about couldn't that. Couldn't kick my ass. No, you're time. when I told you to be high energy, you were all woo. <laughs> We have it. We have it on recording. Are you just going? Whoa! Well, you want to hear me this week? No, we we hear you plenty. Sure. We want to hear me this week. No, we hear you plenty. I'll scream in the closet. No, please don't scream in the closet. (laughs) Can I scream out of the closet? (laughs) What if I go to like my front door and start screaming? Yeah, by all means, go ahead, dude. All right, give me a sec. I gotta get up. Sure, go ahead. No, okay, Brent, what are you drinking? I am drinking. Oh gosh! See, here we go. This is this is going to be. It's difficult. old Rasputin too. It's no, it's not reincarnate. It's, <laughs> it's old Rasputin. No, no, no. I called old, no last old time. Russian I called it old Russian, but it's ac- it's actually called old Rasputin. Old Russian bastard. So this is this is undead Rasputin. No, well, no. I mean, that would be a good Rasputin joke, but no, this is. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> what the joke? Uh, undead. Yeah, okay. Okay. So this is Delirium Tremens, I think it is. It's a Belgian ale, and it's by the I'm gonna try and pronounce this. I'll put it in the show notes, but the Huig Brewery? H U Y G H E. And I think it might actually be a Belgian name. It's it's a family brewery, but it's Huig Huig. Okay. I don't know Belgian. Link to it so normal people can understand what the fuck. Yeah, we'll link to it. I'm I'm sure some people might correct me if we have any Belgian speaking listeners, but if we do, that's awesome. (laughs) Seriously, shout out to the Belgian people speaking listeners. Shout out out to all of the listeners. You're all awesome. I love you all. I love being here. I'm so high energy. Yeah. Woo. Jathan, how many lines so... of Coke did you do before we started recording? <laughs> no blow here. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you think that's snow out there? Uh-uh. <laughs> so, what are you drinking if you're so yeah, high energy? Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? I'm Wait, drinking... did you actually do what I think you did? Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm going to explain okay. it. Okay. So, today was exceptionally warm here. I went to lunch with a coworker. We sat outside in the sun. It was amazing. And I have a summer beer left in my fridge from one of Are my you favorite in this breweries. Co-worker? No, I'm not gay. Oh, okay. 
I mean, well, you, you said some stuff that, you know, makes yeah. us and question. Hayden's a bitch ass, but anyway. Anyway. So one of my favorite breweries in Boulder has this summer beer that you can only get in the summer. It's from Fate Brewing Company. It's a watermelon Kolsch, which I know I've had and we've linked to before. But I decided to spice up my life because that's <laughs> what high energy people do is they spice it up. <laughs> so you know what I did? Ask me what I did. What did you do? What did you do? I put vodka in it because it's so good. It's just like drinking watermelon like, it's an amazing beer to begin with. It's something I can't describe. It's just amazing. And I was like, how could I make this better? More alcohol. So I just put vodka in it. And now I'm drinking it. You know what? Why stop there? Why not just dump a bunch of, of moonshine? And I have the rest of the bottle of vodka yeah, here. Just so dump, if I run out of beer, but the whole... if I run out of beer, no, 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 I'm not done. And if I run out of beer, <laughs> if I run out of beer, I'm going to drink straight from this goddamn bottle and be a white girl like Peyton. I, no, that's high energy. I, oh my gosh. We've been over this at least three times now, I think. You're right. Tequila is white girl. Yes. And Cuervo's not real tequila. No, I I, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. You you yeah, make my head episode. hurt. I'm fucking fired up, people. Let me tell you. I am in such a good mood right now. <laughs> I am goddamn excited for this. Let's that's talk fantastic. about fucking shit. Let's go. Let's up. go with the news. Let's get on with it. People. All right, Peyton, yeah. Please <laughs> save us. Jump right to the news and don't stop for Jathan. This is better the news. Okay, so our first bit of news is we have unis vending machines are dosing themselves. The Internet of Shit tweeted, This university couldn't figure out why their network was slow. It turns out it was being attacked by its own vending machines. <laughs> there were 5,000 other IoT devices making seafood-related DNS requests every 15 minutes. What the hell? Next, we have the firm that helped the FBI break into the Santa Bernardino iPhone shooter. They got hacked, and their tools have been leaked online. So, yeah, that's great. This is why we say you can't have safe backdoors. Right, exactly. Because the same kind of shit happens. Keep going. Right. Sorry. So, we talked about having to enter your social media information in a couple episodes ago, I Mm -hmm. think, when you crossed the border. There was a NASA engineer who was required to unlock his iPhone, or his phone, at the border. He uh, was detained at the Houston airport as he gave the customs agents his passcode to his work-issued device. The government is stealing its own secrets. Now, his name... His Holy name shit. is, you know, a name that you would immediately, like, you know, if you were of the racist variety, be like, oh, my God, we need to. But realistically, I mean, he's a NASA scientist. Come on now. You know, that's almost as bad as the dude doing freaking calculus getting called out by the lady next to him, you know? Mm. I don't know but what you're saying, but yeah. There was a mathematician on a plane, and he was doing calculus, and the lady called a flight attendant and said he's writing in a foreign language, and he got detained because he was doing calculus. I remember that. So was, well, calculus? In, calculus? In all fairness, who just does calculus on an airplane? This guy. I mean, if you're a mathematician, you yeah, do. I Jesus guess. Christ. Well, I'm not a mathematician. Shut up. I don't... Next. The next bit of news we have is that... <laughs> Go. You're going to take all go. my energy Go, 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 go. <laughs> That's perfect. So, <laughs> in the world of don't piss off your IT service provider, this city, the Chamber of Commerce, the coming C-U-M-M-I-N-G, Chamber of Commerce, arrested their service provider, IT service provider, for cybercrime against the group. Well, the problem is they didn't pay him. And so, what do you do with a customer that doesn't pay? You shut their services off. Mm-hmm. This actually, to me, is kind of scary because if the government can say to you, oh, well, we're just not going to pay you. And when you do something, and you know, to fight it and they put you in jail, like, you know, that's not right, you know. 
The next bit of news, we have the Windows 10 lock screen leaks clipboard contents. This is actually fairly easy to do. All you have to do is WinL, which is lock your workstation. Win Enter, which starts narrator. Caps lock F1, open narrator help. Control V, profit. Way to go, Microsoft. This reminds me, that reminds me a lot of how you could basically bypass the, whatever their fucking name for it is, Firewall, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. During like oh, an yeah. upgrade you know process be, and stuff. You know what would be sweet is if you just kept your password in the clipboard and then you could just yeah, paste right. your password. You'd never have to type it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a feature. It's a, yeah, feature. Yeah, it's a good feature. It's a feature, not a bug, yeah. So the next news. <laughs> just remember, use Signal, use Tor. <laughs> So, Instant Paper is apparently having an outage. They are 31 hours out of service and almost six days of restricted, func restricted functionality. They had one of their MySQL databases apparently exceeded the ext3 file size limit. Real quick, what's that file size limit? It's uh, 16 terabytes. 16 terabytes. No, I, I pulled that out of my ass. Well, so I'll look that up while I do this. Next, we have Dubai in the world of Jetsons launching the world's first hover taxis within months. If you want to have something extravagant, why not go to Dubai? Apple has confirmed that OSX update, an OSX update broke Ethernet, the Ethernet port on some Macs, <laughs> and there's a fix for that. Hello, how dumb do you have to be to break your own shit? Sorry, did I say that out loud? Well, the worst part about that, I just want to take a quick aside. The worst, sure. so like Windows and Linux and, you know, other like BSD and stuff. All right, I can understand. You got to account for a lot of different hardware. Mac, yeah, but you Apple... have no excuse. Yeah. Your hardware is standardized. Standardized. Literally. Same hardware. The same. The same. Or at least extremely known. Yeah. And yeah. And you've got like pick. a choice of like five possible things you need to right. account for. That's it. That's right. it. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah. There's even there's even special Mac RAM. <laughs> well. Kill me now. So anyway, the next bit of news we have is that the BlackBerry share of the global smartphone market is now officially 0.0%. Wow. Guys, this is actually like, I feel like this is bad news. I mean, BlackBerry has not exactly been doing great in the last five or ten years, but I mean, they were someone different outside of Apple and, and Google. You yeah, know? well, I mean, that, is that like um, they can't find any... There are 207,900 BlackBerry devices running its own operating system. Well, that was actual how many were sold in the yes. last year? No, 420, 432 million smartphones were sold. Yeah, total. So, not from BlackBerry, total. Right. And, and of, of those, those 207, 900, right. whatever that fucking number <laughs> 2000, is. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The exact percentage point is 0.0481%. Okay, yeah, that was my question. Like, how many orders of 10? That's, that's a small That is a very amount. small amount, yeah. Wow. Google's Android operating system is 352.7 million smartphones running it. Rim, how the mighty have fallen. Right? I mean, they used to be, I remember back in the early 2000s, they, you know, they made was like, I need, I need a BlackBerry. Yeah. I have to have a BlackBerry. I loved I my BlackBerry. My they weren't the them. smartphone yeah. before iPhones I mean, came BlackBerry out. Messenger was like next level. I remember BlackBerry messaging Jathan because he was the yeah. only person I knew. Oh, yeah. That had... We both had a curve at the yeah. same time. No, I. Oh, my God. The I curve. might have had a <laughs> No, no, no. Storm was the shitty touch. Yeah, it was a curve then because I had a. I've had a couple keyboard. of them. I, I had the. Uh, I had T-Mobile. I can't remember which one I had. It was the. Um, I was on. It had the. It had the the clear or not the clear but the white light up uh, ball. Yeah, they all had that. I mean, that was their signature for a long time. No, no, there were some that didn't light up that well or whatever. 
I know our our curves, uh, our curves, Jathan. Wink, wink. Nudge, oh my nudge. god! Yeah. And that is paid with the news. That and Jathan has a special announcement in a second. He does. But still on the topic of smartphones. So we all know Cyanogen Mod is dead, and this should have been a news article, and we I just kept forgetting to report about it or and add it to the notes. It's okay. Shit happens. So Cyanogen Mod and Cyanogen Inc. Is they're, they're dead. They're gone. They're removing stuff from the web, if not totally gone by now. So I was on Cyanogen Mod, as people may remember from me talking about in one of our episodes about Android ROMs. And I switched recently to Lineage OS. It's not... I feel at a disadvantage because I used their switchover package. They have a package to like just switch over from Cyanogen Mod to Lineage. So I just mm-hmm. used that because I didn't feel like reflashing everything and re adding all my configs and all that, reinstalling all of my apps. So I just opted for the transfer. And it went out it went without a hitch. I needed to track down the right vendor image because I have a Nexus 6P now. So I needed to find the right vendor image, but thankfully it tells you exactly what version of the vendor image it's looking for. Nice. Which I don't remember Cyanogen Mod doing. Lineage OS, you said. Lineage OS. It's basically the same thing as Cyanogen Mod, but it's it's more community centric now. It's it's like just one guy currently. So if you're on Cyanogen Mod, there are a lot of lineage builds out there for the supported models. They're working on more. I mean, I'm happy with it, but it feels just like Cyanogen Mod. It did fix one or two issues that I actually had with the Cyanogen Mod before. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I haven't done a clean install, so I can't speak to what it looks and feels like and what the setup process is, because I didn't have to go through it. They have a build for uh, my tablet. One of my tablets. Yeah. If you do a clean install, let me know how it goes. I actually might think about doing it. Yeah, that. let us know how it goes, because I want to I wanna sure. know what the experience is like for a total clean install. That being said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. has a special thing he'd like to talk about, so... Yeah, I'll make this quick. So, or don't. a couple of weeks ago, I went to an NCBI hackathon out in Bethesda, Maryland. It was really cool. We, being BioFrontiers Institute, which is where I work, are having our own hackathon primarily focused around scientific problems, of course, because we are a research institution. Of course. It is May 22nd to the 24th, 2017, in Boulder, Colorado. Usually the weather is super freaking nice then. If anyone is interested, I'm not going to tell you where to find information right now because I don't really have a place for it. We'll, but just we'll reach out to me. And, yeah. yeah, reach out to me on Twitter or email me or something. Let me know if you're interested. I can probably make sure that you get accepted if you want to come, assuming we don't have like a massive influx of people. And that's it. Thank you. There you go. And piggybacking back on that again, we do have our new site up, obviously. And we have a contact form on the new site as well, along with just like the old site, a little applet you can use to connect to IRC. So yeah, I mean, we feel free to get us get in contact with us that way. If you have any questions about the show, we'll even, you know, answer them on the air if you'd like. But we should make that a segment. We haven't gotten any questions whatsoever. So Yeah, we haven't even really gotten like topic requests. So Yeah. Honestly, we've gotten some... please tell us what you want us to talk about because we don't struggle to come up with topics, but we try to leave room for like things that people might mention to us or suggest, and nobody ever does. So just fucking do it. Do it. Be high energy. <laughs> yeah, be high energy. Do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yesterday, you said today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I would like to make that a segment where we answer listener questions every week, but we haven't gotten any. But, yeah, so well, we need also, to... Well, I think, also, I think it's worth saying, like, you know, we're not going to talk about, like, where I buy my goddamn underpants. <laughs> 
like ask all questions. I get them on Amazon. You don't know where the fuck I buy them. So, I just get them on I, Amazon. I mean, I think whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you know if Jathan doesn't want to talk about his underdraws, that's fine. But, <laughs> you know what? You know, I'm going commando. Oh my gosh! What right now? Things I didn't need Always. to know every day, <laughs> oh. even after chilly night. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! <laughs> we need to move on. I don't want to. We need to. You are never coming to my house. <laughs> we need to move on. That reminds me of the Family Guy episode where uh, Meg meets a group of nudists, and Peter's like, "Here, come sit over here. Step on this. Step on this. Sit on this." Yeah. He's, he's laying down plastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. All right, so. All right. Next. Tonight we're talking about networked file systems, file sharing, networked file sharing, that sort of general gist. We're not going to go too in-depth because there's a, a fair number of them out there. Yes, and we may are. have talked about some of these before in more or less detail, but not really all together in this capacity, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to touch upon, like, there's basically, like, three separate cat- subcategories for this topic. There's networked slash clustered file systems. There is file transfer protocols. And, yeah. you know, it, it's a bit beyond that, but whatever. And then there's, like, sort of, quote, unquote, self-managed clouds, I guess. But that's that's going to be a small subcategory. So to start with, in the network file system sharing, uh, n- the, the clustered file system section, we've got, you know what, I'm going to move, I'm going to, I'm gonna, I was going to say Samba slash SIFS. C-I-F-S. But I think that would probably be closer under file sharing rather than an actual true... Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. So Because the underlying file system can be anything. So, you know what? Let's really. let's talk about that first, actually. So, we just get that yeah. in NFS out of the way. So, Samba yeah, slash SIFS, they're basically the same thing. SIFS is a newer... I, I found this out, by the way. I remember the difference. Samba, or SMB, used to be Microsoft's sort of older file sharing technology. I think around, like, I think it ended at, like, Windows XP. And then onward, newer. That sounds... Windows 7-ish, I think, was when it got started with Samba or SIFS. I forget what it was the standard for, but... So it's a new type of protocol, and if you try and use older versions of that sharing protocol, you're going to run into some issues. But it's pretty much the go-to... And the only widely recognized option if you, well, well hold on, if you want to use a mixed platform environment. So like BSD yes. and Linux and Windows, if you've got all three, and, Max. and Max, yeah, if you want, you got all three working together, you're probably want to want Samba or SIFS. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty much stuck there. Yeah, I mean, that's at work. We have a primary storage box that's mostly just for people to use, like, you know, connect from your laptop, connect from your desktop, throw a few files up, things you want to make sure are backed up or whatever. And we use SMB for that, of course, mm-hmm. or SIFS, really. Yeah, but... the same difference at this point. Yeah. Alternatively, there is NFS. Traditionally, NFS would be used if you've got like an all Nix-like environment. So all Unix, like Solaris or something, and Linux, maybe even some Mac. Now, recently, not recently, I guess arcanely known, not many people know this, Windows can actually use NFS. Oh yeah, it absolutely can, but it's, it's messy, messy and it sucks and ass. it's not the best implementation, yeah. Hey, do you know anything about NFS being hard to route for any reason? No, I just know it's a pain in the ass because on, at least on NFS 3, you need to allow like RPC and, and all sorts of other stuff. Got it, yeah. So yeah, so it's got like at the least one thing... three to five ports you need to open for it to work well. Got it. The one thing I was going to touch on, so I work in an environment that's very mixed because my desktop and users and stuff like that, they're all using, you know, Macs or Windows, whatever. And they support diversity. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 
Sorry. And then, of course, we have the cluster environments, which are completely separate. So we use NFS for home directories on the cluster. And it works out better because Mm. you can do things like, for one thing, the permissions play out a little bit more nicely between, you know, two Linux boxes. As long as the same UID is used and the same GIDs, everything just works, Well, a very similar concept for that is... Now, I don't know what it's called these days because I haven't touched a Windows box in like, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, whatever. But in Active Directory, you had things called roaming profiles. It's very similar to that, only it doesn't need to locally cache it. It could just contact it directly with the network. Slow as shit without the caching, of course. But if you've got a good network and you're not trying to like edit a Photoshop file or something, it's a good solution. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just think in general, authentication is easier with NFS than SMB on Linux. Like, it's a lot harder to set up a fucking auto mount for SIFS shares than an NFS share on Linux. And I say that from experience entirely. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Sama and SIFS, Sama's live SIFS, whatever. It's definitely more, I'll say, I'll put it this way. You get tighter access or tighter control over access, but at the cost of sort of simplicity. I'll leave it at that, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about this literally just these two protocols mm-hmm. for hours. Oh, yeah. And we, should, use cases. we should do a whole debate on yeah. it for some episode. I mean, we'll, we'll probably both agree that NFS is probably better in some contexts and Samba slash stuff is better for Yeah, others, absolutely. But... Absolutely. I mean, it just depends on your... Oh, your use case, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all the context. Yeah, your use case, your needs. I mean, if you've got a, you know, multi-shop or whatever, you know. So that's that's some uh, of Is there anything else that's sort of in the same wheelhouse on our list as these two? I'm I want to say I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. So one of the on, on, on with the same subcategory, I would say SSHFS and FTP. We have those on our list to talk about. They're pretty different because they're more centered around WAN accessible things. Samba SIFs and NFS, they're not really stuff you want on the WAN. I would highly recommend against it, assuming you can even get it working because, you know, some of the, some parts of those protocols required LAN access, whatever. But SSHFS, which is basically just a fuse mount of an SSH, a remote SSH directory, and then it uses SSH to communicate. So it's pretty nice. All you need is SSH. The other side doesn't even need fuse installed. Yeah. Well, and what's nice about using fuse, and it's not just true of SSHFS, mm-hmm. but any fuse file system. Yeah allows the user to actually do the mounting. It's all done in user space as the user... You know, and it lets you mount some pretty DNS. weird stuff. It's, it is, yeah, it's a very useful mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally use SSHFS all the time. I keep uh, my home directory from my Linode mounted on my work laptop so that if I just want to quick grab something from my Linode, I don't have to worry about going and finding the file name, whatever. Mm. I can literally just open up a browser and it's like it's, like it's native, right? I mean, well, I mean, you can do the same thing with uh, SFTP. Not yeah, FTPS, which can. is FTP over SSL, but SFTP. Yes, yes. But, you know, that assumes the server is allowing that call of the binary and everything. So, yeah, it's nice because it, it acts as if it's a local mount. The downside, of course, is typically you're using it over the WAN and typically it's going to be pretty slow. So definitely don't want to be using like a home directory share over SSHFS. FTP, of course, is the tried and true protocol. I, I would hope... All of our listeners know what FTP is. I mean, it's it's been around for ages. Fast transfer for, for, <sighs> prototype? Oh my gosh. I know you're trolling, but it just, it, uh, <laughs> it left a feeling of disgust in my mouth. It's widely used, widely supported, typically also insecure as shit. Because, you know, even the passwords, yeah. all the authentication happens in plain text. You can even reassemble the files if you get, grab the PCAPs and stuff. So it's not ideal. There is FTP over SSL, which provides some better security. 
Usually, I would recommend the only case where you want FTP is for one-way file transactions. So if you've got, like, FTP really, it kind of excels if you're doing a lot of large downloads. So, like, you've got, like, a three gigabyte file. You don't want to do that over HTTP. You want to do that over FTP. Why? It's faster. It's it's just better handled for it. I, I mean, I could probably go into the exact technical details, but we'll be here for a while. I'll link to some papers if I remember and can find them. So it's great for actually moving a file from one place to another, especially if that file is significantly large. But I don't know. I, I still hesitate to even bring it up in this topic because it's, you can't really make an FTP file. You can with Fuse, granted. I'm sure somebody wrote a plugin, a Fuse plugin to do it. But you're not going to want to because of the, it's just not worth it. You know, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's useful. It, it still has its place, I would say, especially for yeah. like packages for distros and stuff. Assuming they're signed and all that, but it's not ideal, and not all clients one support nice thing, FTP over SSL and such. Yes, yeah. The one nice thing about FTP, you know, you could just as easily set up a one-way SMB share, right, mm. where people can't push data; they can only download yep. it. The nice thing about FTP is it more easily is interfaced with. I mean, you can use wget or curl. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can't do the same thing without mounting an SMB share. Yeah, so. yeah. You do need to mount. It's the same thing with NFS. Yeah, NFS uses, yeah. basically uses standard unix permissions for the most part so it's easy to control access on a base level sort of thing but yeah you still need to mount it and you need to know where that share is and if they forgot to open rpc in their firewall you're not going to find where that share is and and stuff like that so (laughs) oops yeah i mean you can you can still mount it but you're not going to be able to list the shares and stuff right i think we need to move on so Let's yes, move on to actual clustered file systems. I'm just going to rattle them off, and then we'll talk about the ones we have experience with. So there's... Is it BGFS or BGFS? I think I, BGFS? I think actually I personally used it. say... Yeah, uh, so that does not mean anything right, well, in terms of knowing the pronunciation. I true. say BGFS. Okay. Because it sounds like... It sounds because like you're saying... Nicer to say, oh, I was going to say because it sounds like you're referring to a blowjob, but... I just say BG. Oh, okay. When I'm talking about it, yeah. Got it. I, I mean, it's formerly FHGFS. So I like the I like the new name better. Oh, it, the name changed. Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah. Huh. I guess we'll have to look into that. What? I'll look into that for the notes and put it in a rata if that's the case, and see if I can find some BGFS. documentation. Com. So then th- there's also GlusterFS, which I've used, which is just terrible, but I'll I'll rant about that in a second. Ceph and Coda, Luster, which I know Jathan's also had experience with. And I think that's all that comes to mind. There are, of course, others. Payton, I think, has used GPFS from yes, IBM. Yes, I have. Yep. But let's let's get talking. Jathan, you want to talk about BGFS real quick? Yeah, I can talk about Beach and I can talk about <laughs> Stop Luster. Stop saying Beach. I'm calling it Beach. That is literally oh. like if I... If, if I this. have to talk to somebody, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I made your directory on Beege. Can, can we just, like, we should just edit out, like, most of what he says <laughs> until he says something meaningful? Just beep everything I mean, he says. Yeah. No, so... Beep every time he talks, beep. I, I actually, wait, can I talk about Luster first? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Luster first. So, so we have a cluster that was funded by a grant, and one of the things that we have attached to the cluster is a scratch file system that is running... Or, or is a Luster file system, right? So Luster was previously, it's proprietary. It's not open source file system as far as I know. Maybe parts of the spec are, I don't know. Our appliance though that we have that's running Luster was from a company called Xyratex, which got bought out by Seagate. Mm-hmm. So Luster is, I have to say, there's some things I really like about it from a management perspective, but from a performance perspective, you know, if we run a dedicated performance test, we can max out the theoretical bandwidth, essentially, which is like 40 gigabits per second. Mm. Really? 
Yeah. Wow. But I have never seen anyone come close to that in real time. And it's not just because they're not computing that much data. It's because it just seems like unless you have the exact type of file that Lustre likes and does well with, it just it does not perform. Like if you have a lot of small files on Lustre, it will take you a seriously long time to move or copy or or do anything with those files. And I think mm. I don't know this for sure, but I think that's entirely based on the fact that every time it touches a new file or you're referencing many, many files as opposed to one big one, it has to make a separate calls to the metadata server. Does it have a concept of no A time? Good question. I actually don't really know. I would be interested if you could look into that because I so, think... So it's not just like a typical, you know, yeah, 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 mount, exactly. But like if there's a similar mechanism where you could turn access times off, I feel like that's where a lot of that delay would be happening. Yeah, but, well, I maybe. I think there's a delay. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's what I said when I was copying my data. <laughs> what? So that being said, there are parts of Lustre that I really like from a management perspective. Mm. Lustre is really, really good at telling you when a disk has failed. It's really, really easy to replace a disk. Literally, one of them lights up. You pull it out and put another one in. You don't have to touch anything. It just nice. finds the new disk and it just replaces it. I'm trying to think what else. You know, in terms of the actual structure of the network that's behind the Lustre and Beege, it's very similar. They have a management node that sort of directs your traffic when you're sending or receiving things. There's metadata nodes that keep track of where everything is actually stored. So, it's... And then, of course, a stream is established directly between the clients client and the storage so it's a centralized model sort of thing we've got like a master metadata sort of a concept yes and the metadata and like the actual management of streams is all centralized but when you basically get placed on one of the storage nodes like where you're actually sending your data that is distributed so you know sometimes you'll be sending data to multiple nodes over you know three or four streams at one time Mm. And at that point, you're not going through the management or metadata nodes, Mm -hmm. which is important because obviously that'd be a bottleneck. It'd be an extra hop in your process that you don't need, certainly. So then we have Beege. Also, I should mention, nah, never mind. What? So then we have Beege. I was just going to say Lustre. See, I don't know if this is actually just the appliance that we have or if all Lustre has built-in Puppet and uh, Nagios monitoring. Really? Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So then we go to BGFS, and let me be honest with you, if I could choose just one, I would stick with BGFS forever. The default settings for BGFS seem to accommodate a wider range of files. We get actually better performance from BGFS, in my experience. We have not experienced a disk failure on our system that's running BGFS. So I can't reflect on that process at Mm. all, and I don't even know how because the disks at this point are like five years old, but somehow... Beege was extremely simple to set up. It relies on simple munge keys between management nodes and clients, or not not clients, but worker slaves, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah the the storage yeah, yeah. nodes. And the other thing I really like about Beege as opposed to Lustre is you don't actually have to create any users on the BeegeFS system. Mm. Mm. It lets the client basically take care of all of the permissions and UID and GID checking and stuff like that. That is not the same with Luster. Luster, you have to actually create all the users on all of the nodes. Like so like that, as in standard Unix users or like a sort of access? It is, it's standard Unix users, but my problem with it is how much of a pain in the ass it is to actually add them to all the nodes. Yeah, I mean, but I can still understand like the, the security concepts. Like if possible, you don't want to leave that up to the client, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I ha- is, is there any sort of security concern with Beach about a client maybe faking an auth to a, to a path they don't have access to or amount they don't have I would say to? no, just because the clients do still have to have a key that matches so they can actually authenticate at the 
top level. But the like, ACL isn't user, done but... on the server. It's done on the client side. So the well, key doesn't not really... really an ACL. I mean, it's standard Unix permissions. Uh-huh. So, like, if you were to go to the BGFS system and, you know, do a listing of a directory, it would just have numerical UIDs. Mm. And the only thing that you're right in this sense, like, the only thing that's checking is that your UID matches what is expected. So if you have root on a local box and you happen to get a hold of the key. Okay. Yes, but but the problem with that is you also have to explicitly accept the key, if you will, a client key on the management nodes. Yeah, so it's, I'm so talking it's not about like local privilege just having ex- the escalation, is... though, on a box that already has access to the BGFS. So. Yeah, so that would present a problem mm. in that capacity. You're right there. Got it. The reason that it's not a huge concern is just because it's it's not error-gapped. It's connected to a cluster. Mm. But, you know, it's only as secure as the cluster is, which is the same with all of the components of a cluster computing environment in most cases. Like, it's not that you can only be so careful. There's a lot more things you could do. But in the essence of providing fast storage that's efficient, effective, quick to access, Mm -hmm. easy to manage for a huge number of users, I think that's something that we sort of give up. Mm -hmm. For It is possible that there's a setting I don't personally know what it might be called or where you find it it is possible that you actually could change it so you do have to use actual users on beach as well got it okay I, I see. uh yeah so so that wasn't too much like technical detail that's more so just my experience with the two is there any questions i guess no i mean i i just interject with my questions <laughs> now i on the cl- uh, gluster fs i have used gluster and so have i and i'm sorry i, I hate it i hated it <laughs> i hated it so much I haven't used it in about oh, maybe I think it would have been eight years now, but yeah, it was it was terrible. I don't know how if your setup was anything like mine, but was your setup for like heart beating and everything? Mine was set up for like all of thirty five minutes, <laughs> and then I was like, "Fuck this." <laughs> okay, <laughs> so mine was I had to, I had to do mine at the request of a client for the company I was working for at the time. We were just testing it basically. Okay, yeah, no, I I didn't because we have. We have a basic Red Hat license, and we didn't know if we wanted to get support for Gluster and use it in certain applications. I had it handed to me rather than got to architect it myself. So needless to say, it had some interesting things done with it. One of the things is heart beating. And that, I swear, if one of them goes down, it would just destroy everything. You'd have to bring all of them back down and then bring all of them back up at the same time. Because otherwise you get into like a, a heart beating conflict because one didn't want to come up because the other one wasn't up. And we had three of them in the cluster. So like, okay, yeah, I see I see this cluster node is up, but this one isn't. I'm not going to start because I don't know what the state is of, of the, the cluster. So I understand why they did it. I also understand there's better ways of doing it. <laughs> And they did not go with the better ways of doing it. Now, I think that may have changed. I'm, I would hope that it's improved over the years. But when I last used it, it was... And in that setup, that's how it was. And it required all the nodes to be up at the same time, which is kind of pointless in my mind of a cluster. Well, I think, yeah, if you lose a single node, it should keep fucking working, I'd assume. Right? You know what we didn't I mean, put on our list is Isilon. I've never I've never Isilon. even heard of it. What? No. Spell it for me. Oh my god. I can talk I-S-I-L-O-N. Isilon. No. I, I can talk it. really briefly about that at the end if we want, but... Yeah, let's see how we're doing on time when we get there, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did want to last touch upon Seth and Coda. They're pretty much obsolete at this point, but they deserve a mention because they kind of made cluster files 
file systems what they are today. I mean, they were the first. I mean, there was like the Android file system, which did a pretty good job. But Seth and Coda really kind of brought the open source clustered file system into the limelight. And it, they both deserve some heavy praise for that. You would primarily yeah. see them in like academic institutions. But I would dare say there's the number of institute like universities actually implementing them these days are probably less than 30. I've never seen either yeah. in the... The yeah, exactly. So they're they're pretty outdated and they are pretty feature lacking. But that doesn't mean they weren't important in the yeah. evolution of parallel file Absolutely. systems though, or clustered file Absolutely. systems. Absolutely. Yeah, right they up. were they were very important. And for the time, they did a pretty bang up job. They were pretty awesome. I haven't had any actual experience managing them, but I haven't seen any horror stories, which is always a good sign. I haven't seen any complaints about them or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, they've, I guess they've proved themselves. They're just not the best out there these days. So then to close this out, this section out, I want to talk about the self-hosted cloud, quote unquote, solutions. Because we all know cloud. cloud doesn't exist. It's just someone else's computer. But these are basically cloud in name and that they try to provide similar services to like Google Docs and, and or Google Drive or whatever it's called these days. I don't even know. Google Drive? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know which one it's called these days. It's Drive. It's Google okay. Drive. So that in like Dropbox and stuff, they pr they try to provide a similar solution, but something that you can host yourself. And then they kind of are geared towards both LAN use. So if you, you pop it up at like a data center, you can easily work it into your existing storage solution. And then they also kind of try and provide that WAN accessible user friendly usage. There it's own cloud and next cloud. And there's a lot of drama surrounding them. And there are some other ones. I didn't even get into them. But they're pretty neat. I only turned up OwnCloud, and that was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, I've got an instance, an old instance. I didn't set it up initially, but uh, it's still there, mm -hmm. and a few people use it at day job. Yeah, but. for what it is, though, it's pretty cool. I mean, it is nice that they're trying to encourage people to manage their own data rather than trust a third party, which I'm all about. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's a great, I mean, I'll give them this. The interface for it is really nice. I mean, it works just like Dropbox for an end user. It's easy enough that an end user can figure it out. Yeah. I absolutely think if you're considering sort of like a Google Drive or Dropbox solution for your clients or the people that you serve as an administrator, mm -hmm. give Nextcloud a shot. I think at this point, Nextcloud is sort of the next iteration of OwnCloud, if I understand correctly. I think it's but it like, seems an, like the, uh, I think OwnCloud versus Nextcloud is kind of like a Cynogen versus Lineage thing, but like OwnCloud or OwnCloud is still around sort of a thing. I don't know. Like some developers from OwnCloud didn't like the direction it was headed and, and forked or yeah, something. Yeah, it's like Debian and System D. <laughs> You mean Debian? Debian or whatever? The non-system D fork of Debian? I don't know what the fuck they call themselves. I don't acknowledge them. <laughs> okay. They're not a real okay. distro. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's it. And I haven't had experience, extensive experience. I've got a little bit of experience with them, but I haven't had extensive experience, so I can't speak too much on them. I haven't used Nextcloud at all, so I don't know how it compares to OwnCloud. My guess would be pretty similar. And then, of course, we, we there's, like, storage appliances, like FreeNAS. Or, no, 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 TrueNAS, rather. TrueNAS. I, I corrected yeah. it. I corrected Jathan on the other. TrueNAS. Which uses FreeNAS, which is another solution you can use, all sorts of things. There's SyncThing, which is... Uh, SyncThing's pretty cool. It's an open source version of some other stuff you may have seen around. It's a decentralized sort of file sharing system. So that's pretty cool. I use SyncThing for a little bit for some things. Obviously, you don't want to use it for like a whole file system replacement or like a clustered file system replacement. It's really not designed for that. But it, I'd say it's closer akin to like popping a file up on Torrent on a Torrent site, but only 
but with ACL, like only giving access to people you know. Yeah. Just do it in prod. Just, Just do it in prod. Just do it live. Just do it live. Just do it live. Just do it live. That's a good segue <laughs> into our next topic. When... And I got to thank Jathan for this topic. When to not run something enterprise level in production. So he lists specifically like CentOS, Red Hat, SUSE, whatever. AIX. <coughs> Which one? Uh, AIX. AIX. Yeah. It's the second time I made a farting noise tonight. Yeah. Damn. Uh, high energy. The first Woo. time was Gluster and now AIX. Yeah. Woo, high energy. Woo. Woo. So we have some interesting questions here that Jathan provided. Primarily, uh-huh. can I run Arch? The reason. Oh, no, no, hold on. He asked, can I run Arch or Gentoo in production, and when is that okay? Yes, Jathan? Mm. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask is, I've mentioned this a million mm-hmm. times before. You guys obviously know, if you're a newer listener, you might not. I work at a primarily CentOS Red Hat shop. We're sort of actually moving away from Red Hat because we never use the support, mm. so the cost is just not justified. But there's often times, like today, I stood up a one-off VM that's going to be in use for three months. And I ran into not really a bug, but just something I'm not used to with a technology that I've set up, installed a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. So all I was trying to do was stand up a simple instance of Nginx. I don't even need SSL. And you always need SSL, buddy. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. Always. That sounds like another topic. You're wrong. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And PHP FPM. And I literally, which is fast process manager, I think. Which I literally could not figure out why the hell it wasn't working. And the reason is because I was pointing at something called FastCGI params instead of FastCGI.conf, which were identical fucking files, basically. Mm. So my question is, like, you know, by using Arch, which I know I could have installed in just as little amount of time as CentOS 7, basically, and installing the packages, you know, the same packages, but on a distro, I know how the default config ships, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I could have saved a lot of time for a one-off project, but I'd be breaking the sort of spec or convention in our environment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, is that okay? When is that okay? Do you need to seek approval of your coworkers? Like, these are all sort of questions that hopefully we will cover. Yeah, I to really cover that, I would say blanket answer. It all depends on context. Specifically, yeah. number one, who's going to be managing the box or VM or whatever? Who's going to be using the services provided by that? And what do they need? You know? I agree with that. Yeah. So we specifically mentioned Gentoo earlier. So Chromebooks images use Gentoo and it's already gotten some vast enterprise approval for like workstations. People love it, which is fantastic. I mean, it gets Linux in in the laps of the enterprise world, which is what we've been trying to do for ages. That is a Gentoo image. If you ever build Chrome OS, it is Gentoo. I had to do it recently for some testing and I was like, this feels really familiar to me. And I looked into the, like the build scripts and stuff. I'm like, holy crap, this is Gentoo. In case you you don't know, Jathan and I for years were gen- were heavy Gentoo users. Now we're we're both arch <laughs> on our personal systems, but yeah, we were big Gentoo users. And yeah, so once you use a Gentoo system, once you've done like I don't know at least fifteen installs, you you get to know a Gentoo system just by the shell, and you're like, wait. And what really set it off to me was like to install extra packages, use the emerge command, and I was like, holy crap, it is Gentoo. But yeah, it's it's Gentoo eTrade, which I, I think are now out of business, sadly. But are they? I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll put it in errata if they are or aren't. Or Peyton can look it up right now. No, they're still. Yeah, I don't know if they. Still going I don't know if they still use Gentoo servers, but for a long time, I know for a fact that they did. They may still. They may not. Whatever. And the reason was they Gentoo is really flexible. It lets you compile every single binary on your system with use flags, which are basically like compile time optimizations and things like that. And they wanted 
So, like, digital stock trading stuff is highly, highly competitive. You want, like, the most... You want to squeeze the millisecond advantage you have over your competitors. So, they would optimize every single thing they could. And they had engineers... Oh my god, you give me so much shit for doing that, by you're, the way. You're not running a digital stock trading company. You don't know what I'd do with my fucking free time. You're you absolutely not. I will I will place money on that. Cold hard cash. <laughs> Drop it down. <laughs> Catch me outside. There you go. Catch me outside. (laughs) So, like, they had a need for optimizing every single binary on their system to ensure that they would always get the best possible sort of standardization and the architecture was designed and the, the way the binaries were compiled, it all would just flow neatly together into the most bang for buck they could ever possibly get. That's insane for most production environments. Absolutely insane. You don't need that. Linux has plenty of tweaks you can do just by editing sysfs variables or or sysctl variables, I should say, or like other kernel tunables and and things like that. Hardware tunables, all sorts of stuff without ever needing to recompile a single thing. You would get plenty of optimization just by recompiling your kernel. You don't need to recompile every single binary on your system 99.999% of the time. But they did. So they used it. Arch... I would say it has, it pains me to say this because I love Arch and I actually use it on our infrastructure for the site and everything. I use it on all my personal machines, even the stupid dumb little machine I just have serving a uh, a network share for a local repository clone, like a, an Arch repository clone, I should say. So I it pains me to say it, but I have a, I, I don't see it in enterprise use. It's great because it's rolling distro. So if you need that functionality, it's great. And you don't want to recompile every single binary every time there's an update like Gentoo, whether you're optimizing or not. So you still get the nice rolling release distro, but it's still binary and it's constantly up to date. You get security updates very fast. It's not unusual to get a security update before Ubuntu or whatever. See, and that's why I want to disagree Mm. with you there about not being able to use it. I mean, your statement about... You can't. I would say... You're saying you wouldn't. And I mean, I... From a security standpoint alone, the fact that you can you get those security updates is more of an argument for its use, I feel like, than for it to not be used. I mean, however, I do have to say that there's a lot of stigma behind mm-hmm. it. Some people just, you know, they hear Archer like, oh, I don't want to break, I don't want to spend hours working on my system. It's like, you don't, you don't need You only need to configure it once. You know. is, yeah. Right, exactly. Which you need to do right. with any system you're deploying. But right. so so well well here's the thing it also currently doesn't support like kickstarting like SUSE and Red Hat or seeding like Debian and Ubuntu yeah and that is a big limitation of Arch in the, although I think Gentoo in the has enterprise environment like that, right well Gentoo you can not really I don't think well I I mean you could compile whatever the fuck you want anytime yeah well really at that point it's just and copying that's the same over thing with Arch, though I mean makes that conf or, when you're in the yeah. When you're in the change route for Arch, when you're doing the install, you could install anything you want. Right, but it's still a manual install, just like Gen 2. But you could just as easily, like, pull a script with curl and, you know, run it. Yeah, yeah, and you can you can I build a custom not... tarball and then just rsync it over during the install and, and have it DD or whatever directly onto a disk. It's possible, but my point is, it's not going to... It's not contextually... I would have 
I would say it's not ideal for the enterprise environment. That doesn't mean I don't like Arch. That doesn't mean you can't make it work. So for you, you're saying, though, that Gentoo is acceptable? Depends on your use case. I would say Gentoo's, if you need this sort of flexibility as a roll, like for a rolling distro, Gentoo would be more acceptable than Arch. Because at that point, you're so far into the deep end that you're probably going to need Arch over, over uh, need Gentoo over Arch anyways. I think that's yeah. fair. And, you know, the other use case that I put in our notes for, for Gentoo is if you're compiling everything from source anyway, or you could benefit from slotted installs, mm. that is something that most distros don't offer quite like Gentoo. Build boxes, especially. You can have multiple versions of GCC installed without a problem. Yeah, I mean, if you're a developer, like a really hardcore developer... Or even uh, just, just uh, robotic build boxes, yeah, to test builds and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but Gentoo is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, both, our, both Jathan and I did leave Gentoo for our reasons. It, we saw a degradation in terms of quality over the years. But that doesn't it mean... It absolutely had nothing to do with... Yeah. Well, well, it had nothing to do with the distro itself. Compiling everything on a mm-hmm. modern, you know, processor is not an issue. And Gentoo and, does and support binary repositories, too. So if you've got, uh, yeah, like, a whole fuck, fleet keep... of Gentoo... Bo- and I suspect E-Trade does this, because I doubt they have their stock trading machines. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They compile once and they roll it out, which yeah. is fine. You can do the same thing mm-hmm. if you want. You know, you could have your fucking Raspberry Pi compile 24-7 and build packages for your other computer because you can cross-compile, but... I would not recommend maybe using a Raspberry Pi, No, but... <laughs> I, I wouldn't either, but I'm just saying, if you but you can, to, you, you can. can. Yeah, yeah, you've got... Yeah, you don't necessarily need to do, like, an emerge, compile everything, every update for Gentoo. And there are certain packages you know to avoid doing that with, like LibreOffice, like Firefox... Well, you're not going to run those like on G- a, a stock trading, on an enterprise cluster, No, 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 no. But... I'm just saying in general... Glibc is another big one. Yeah, Glibc. You often have a choice to choose binaries. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't one, like we said, you can just run your own repository with pre-built binaries. Granted, if you're running a cluster, your your hardware is probably already standardized. I would hope it is. If not, you've got maybe like two different profiles, whatever. It's pretty easy to build out that and just build binary packages and install it. So I can understand why Gentoo would be a good choice over Arch in that instance. But if you don't need a rolling distro... So yeah, I mean, Payton does bring up a good point. You do get security updates really fast, which is great. But Arch also doesn't have a security-only well, update channel. Right, and right, that's, right. So it's, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing, all exactly. Or nothing. Now, Arch does have an unstable branch. So there are like... You can choose between stable There's, and unstable, but that's it. More all that's it, right? You know, you know, the other thing that goes along with that is it goes both ways, right? I mean, there are security updates that get released that Mm -hmm. break things, there are non security updates that get released that break things, which is why it's worth mentioning it's all or nothing, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, look at your GPG issue a couple weeks ago. Oh, GPG, um, 2.1. That was, uh, I mean, that was that was broken. Mm You know, CentOS users or or even Ubuntu users will probably never see that breakage that you saw. That's true. Because, yeah, they go through a thorough testing phase. Um, and, yeah, it might take a couple weeks before you see, like... And, again, like, it all depends on what is integral to your system, to your, your implementation. Yeah. And for me, what that means is, you know, sometimes I spend a little bit more time doing mm-hmm. updates on a rolling release distro, but I never have to sit down for three hours and do a major dist upgrade like I would if I were using yeah. Ubuntu. Yeah. And for me, that is a worthwhile trade-off. And not only that, but personally, and this is, I think, more of a Gentoo thing than an Arch thing, but personally, I think you learn a lot more using a rolling release distro where you're forced to do a little bit more yourself. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that we're, again, moving a, a little bit away from the sort of enterprise environment where it's already assumed where you got the job. You already know system internals of Linux. 
you know. Yeah, no, that's if we're gonna true. go in that direction, yeah, I would suggest I'm, an LFS install just so you can get an idea. And don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, and, and try and deviate from the manual a little bit so you learn in the process. Don't just copy and paste every command because you're not gonna learn from that. Right. I always tell JSON yeah. when reading the documentation to grok it, don't follow it. So you want to understand why they're presenting this command for you to run. Don't just run the command. Understand why they want you to run the command. And you can do that through a lot of ways. The command with the help option, the help flag, the man page, and stuff like that. Like You under, you start to get an idea of why you're doing these things. Which is, I guess, another yeah. plug for the pink book. Because it's it's another great book for system yeah. internals. Oh god, it's amazing. I, I do love it, it's yeah. awesome. I'll link it again. I've linked to it like five times, but I can never... I, I, can't, I can't brag about just, it enough. Just keep linking. Yeah. Just keep linking. Okay, so I'm going to... We have to wrap this up mm-hmm. a little bit, but so if we were to come up with one sort of example use case where it'd be okay to use like Arch Linux in a production environment, what would that use case be? Something. <sighs> sorry. Go ahead and I'll, like a specific I'll, no, use I'm, case. I'm I'll thinking. I'm, I'm trying to think. If you got I, one, go. I mean, I really, really, I mean, like, you know, something customer facing or, or public facing that, you know, you, you absolutely need to keep on top of security updates on or, you know. But there's so many kernel updates too. Yeah. Yeah, it's require reboots and and you know CentOS, Red Hat. I don't, I can't speak for OpenSUSE or SUSE Enterprise. They do get kernel updates, critical ones, pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Not as fast as Arch, but quick you know, enough. Where if you've got like proper enough, firewalling and and yeah. they certainly they certainly have great mailing lists to announce that mm-hmm. kind of thing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It... I mm, I don't know. Do you do you have a use case for Arch in, in enterprise production? Me? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean that's kind of why I'm yeah. asking because there's plenty of times where, you know, I know when I'm standing something up that might be temporary or whatever, I would be so much more comfortable just having having I Arch. Will, like I, I will say this. I spend more time with Arch. I'm more yeah. familiar with the package manager. I'm more yeah. familiar with the default configs that ship with things like Nginx and mm. Apache common packages I, that I've installed a million times over. But I've never just, like, gotten the cojones to just install it and fucking do it. And, you know, I'm sure that somebody would bitch about it. And that's fine because, you know, whatever. But I just want to know, like, what is a legitimate use case? Or is there even one? Well, I'm, I mean, you guys I might are have one. familiar with my with my GPG issues with Ubuntu not being able to, yeah. for whatever reason, decrypt Mail and Thunderbird or whatever. My Archbox does it fine, you know. Oh, I, I thought it was the other you one. Know, the, okay. No, no, no. The Archboxes are great. The Ubuntu one does not. Got it. It's frustrating as all hell because they're the same versions all the way across, you know? Even GPG? Because Arch should be on like GPG yeah. 2.1.18. I believe they're close enough. You well, know. you got to be careful with that check. because the 2.1 yeah, branch sure. of GPG is, they vastly made a lot of changes. 2.1.11 sure. is miles different from 2.1.15. Right, right. They, they've yeah. been really aggressive I mean, just, in the 2.1 you know. branch. So it's, yeah. and I believe Ubuntu is on 2.1.11, which I think explains the issues you were having. But yeah, like stuff like that. You know, you got to be really careful about that. But I think I might have the one case I can think of where Arch may be an ideal implementation. Bring it. If you're running sort of small, sort of like one-purpose VMs. So a benefit Arch has is it's very small. Even Gentoo, because you don't need to keep a, a portage cache. You know, so even your disk size is smaller. You don't need to recompile everything because it's rolling release, but it's binary. So... It's really handy to just quick turn up 
quick boot because it's it's system D, you know, so it's, it's got a really quick boot. It's really small. So if you've got like a large cluster of x86-64, because, oh, by the way, we forgot to announce that too. Arch is dropping i686 if they haven't already. Yeah, it is. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. quick news item. We can add yeah. it. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll just add it up to the news, whatever, in the notes. So Arch is dropping it, whatever. I guess it's it's time. We should talk about more about that in depth at a, at a later episode because I would like to discuss the merits and disadvantages of that. But definitely, definitely, I agree with that. But that's that's a whole episode topic right there. So they are dropping it, so you got to be careful. It's got to be x eighty six sixty four. There are works to port it and keep the i six eighty six port alive, but I haven't seen anything come to. Fr- project fruition yet yeah it's it's gonna be hard to pull yeah yeah there's only like five people working on it so far so so i can see it being the case if you've got a lot of small low resource machines running x86 64 and they need to be fast they need to not have a lot of cruft because that's where arch really beats out a lot of the others even gen 2 it has very minimal cruft yeah it's like slackware only it's updated (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> Slack attack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it it is it has its benefits. But I would say in a enterprise environment, they're gonna be a very limited case and you're probably not gonna run into a, a, a case where you need to use it. I, I mean I think like you said, I think security wise, if you're looking for something that's absolutely security aware or, or you need more security i think i think you're better off trying to run it versus you know having to go through and install ubuntu mm. and then remove all the users that get installed and all the yeah. different you know, and the same goes with centos and red hat screenshots yeah. and, and even right Debian, exactly yeah you know yeah exactly it's you know if you're looking for something small baseline you know you, just want you vanilla know, sure. linux kind of a thing now granted it's got system d yeah, so it's not quite what you're expecting but it's a good trade-off in my book See, for that. I, I don't have the promise. I don't either. I love it personally. Yeah, no, no, no. Complain about you know. There, there are good things and bad things. I, it, I've it, got a yeah, we've we've had a, a whole D. episode on System D, so I'll I'll link to that as well, yeah. so you can listen to our whole sure. discussion on that. But as a system administrator, I love System D, and as a user, I love System D. I, I if I could just pick my favorite part of System D, oh man, that'd be hard actually. But I think it might even be logging. Honestly, which is one of the the most the criticized things about is so it. powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've got a coworker that just absolutely well, several coworkers <laughs> that absolutely hate System D, and they're t- they're talking about the memory leak or whatever that's in there, and I'm uh, like, okay, every fucking software has its fucking issues. Right, and they're working so, on it. They are, they are. Yeah, I logged into my gateway and I said, I did H top, and I said, look. This is the same memory it's been using for mm-hmm. a month. So I don't know what you're talking about. There's no system. There's no memory leak that you're talking yeah. about. Well, there is actually. Yeah. I mean, well, under certain okay. triggering, triggering conditions. Yeah. All right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever. We got to get to the baddie yeah. though. We're getting away. We got to get to the baddie. Wait, wait. Are we good for the baddie? Yeah, I think so. Anything we can, else? We can about, revisit about... System D later if you if you want to talk about it. We can also talk about rolling release. Yeah, rolling release and System D. I think for next episode would be too great. All right. That's the news, not the baddies. God, that's the news, you moron. All right. Well, I'm gonna learn how to do that backwards. Do the VPN noise. Do the VPN noise. So this baddie is presented to you by Jathan. Yeah. Let's go. High energy. It did. This is actually. Yeah, this is something that happened to me that I, I submitted this baddie for a baddie. Good job. So we'll include some redacted IRC logs mm-hmm. as a part of this baddie. And I'm not going to read through the IRC logs right now, but I'll give you a quick synopsis of what happened and we can talk about it real quick. So as everybody knows, to my dismay, we run systems with Plone on them at mm. work, which is a CMS. It's a built on Python 2. Yeah, primarily. we know what Plone is. Whatever. We talked about it in the CMS episode. Yeah. So there was a hotfix, a Plone security hotfix. <laughs> The hell and 
And when it wasn't actually me who first found it, but a coworker of mine sent me the link to it and said, can you download this and check the sum? Mm-hmm. So I downloaded it. I checked check the sum, sum. and yeah. sure as shit. Yeah, the checksum. It didn't match what was listed as the MD5 or the SHA-1 on the Plone Hotfix mm-hmm. website. So, you know, I was like, well, shit, this is bad. So I went into the Plone IRC channel and... You know, this is sort of where it got bad. This is where me, they deserve is, the baddie. This is where they deserve the baddie. Absolutely. So I went into the Plone IRC channel and I started, you know, asking questions. And at first, this this person sort of denied that there was an issue. They're like, oh, well, you know, you have to refresh your browser or we updated the hotfix. And it's like, no, 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 no. I've had a couple <laughs> people confirm this for me. And I actually had Root yep. confirm it for me. Yep. And he got the wrong checksum mm-hmm. as well. So so then the guy comes back and says, oh, okay, you're right. This is a real issue. And then he suggested some things to fix it. Like, well, you should download it from a different source or whatever. He suggested using Pippi instead of the Plone <laughs> website to download Fuck the hotfix. Yeah, and it was just like, okay. So the issue ended up being that they were using Cloudflare, which we talked about in season one, episode whatever, 19 or 20. I'll, I'll link it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Cloudflare is not just or not even really at all a cdn it's a reverse caching caching proxy proxy. Mm -hmm. and their cloudflare settings were actually set up in such a way that cloudflare was delivering an old version of the hotfix that didn't match (laughs) the one that people were actually supposed Mm -hmm. to use wow and so where this becomes a big issue is twofold and you know part of it is on the administrators who are applying these hotfixes or Mm -hmm. users is that people don't check some of the things that they download, and you should because there's fucking browser plugins that will do it for you and stuff like sure. that. But number two is one of his solutions that he proposed. I'm assuming it's a he. I shouldn't do that. Whatever. I'm sorry. Whatever. One of the solutions they proposed to me was, you know, oh well, you should just run this bogus like link so that it resets the Cloudflare clash, and it's like cash. Fuck, I'm drunk. Um, <laughs> And it's like, no, nobody else is going to know to do that. So, you know, I'm curious how many people downloaded the wrong version of that hotfix and applied mm-hmm. it without ever checking. And that's where it becomes a bigger issue. That being said, I also did not see anything on the Plone security mailing list that said, like, hey, we fucked mm-hmm. up. So I don't know that they ever really disclosed this type of failure. It did eventually get fixed when I pointed it out. The guy did eventually, girl, woman, person, <sighs> did eventually acknowledge, like, oh, yeah, you're right. This is actually an issue. But this was after about a 20-minute period of me telling him, like, hey, this is a real problem. Yeah. So Plone devs, you know. Get your shit together. I think that you're a lot of great people probably, but please get your shit together. That's not acceptable. It's not okay. Right? We're all sad at you. If they... Could you imagine what would happen if Mint Linux reacted the same way that the Plone devs did when you told them? When And they got yeah. compromised? Horribly? Yeah, I know. And the that's reason the they found it and, was and because that's the, bigger the thing about this is, didn't match. That's how they caught it. And that's it. the bigger thing here. Exactly. And that's the bigger thing here is, it's one thing that had happened. Everybody makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's that's how you fine. react to it. It's how you react to it. And in this case, right. it was absolutely I mean, that's awful, like 90% so. of our baddies is just how they reacted to it. With the previous one about GitLab, you know, not I know, and they... GitLab got a baddie, but they got a baddie because of what they did yeah. in this case and not how they reacted. Yeah. How they reacted was fucking Great. stellar. Yeah. If everybody yeah. reacted to a... A security compromise, that's sort of... accidental... Yeah. Or, or yeah, or a, potential a security, security breach, an accidental data. deletion of data, anything. If anybody reacted the way that GitLab devs and admins responded to the fucking GitLab thing last mm-hmm. episode, that's a lot of words. <laughs> I'm still drunk. <laughs> the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. That's the fucking thing. I'm with you on that. That's the fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, so we'll... Great, we gotta end this now. We'll get a log up <laughs> of that. Um, redacted with that important oh. parts redacted, of course, but... 
Yeah, it is, it's man, Whew. big time, big time. Well, you know, I mean, like Jason was saying, I mean, if you're gonna have a problem, like we just reported uh, with the the um, blown, uh, get loud. Yeah, you know the one. No, no, not not. I'm sorry. Damn straight, you're sorry. It's the paper. You yeah. know, it's the paper has an outage, and they're not they're not telling people. And and Plone is telling Jathan that he's wrong, and to use mm-hmm. this and to do this, and it's like I I mean I can understand like some random person tells you, hey, your shit's fucked up. But if more than one person is telling you, hey, your shit's fucked up, you need to stop and be like, okay, look, we're gonna take a look at this. We'll be right back or whatever. You know, versus like being a dick. Yeah. yeah no, fuck you. Our shit's not fucked up. We not, our shit's never fucked up. No. Even if one person up, tells me my shit's fucked, I'm like, I might. Want to look at you know, if I get a ticket exactly. about like one of my storage systems, like, oh, I can't connect before I even think about responding. The first thing I do is make sure I can connect and make sure that everything looks normal. On Honestly, it's a win win in that case, because like one, if it is fucked well, up, you can actually fix it and let them know. Oh, thanks. You know, or two, if it's not fucked up, it's like, nope, problem is you. Bye. It's a win win. Exactly. And and it's a more definitive yeah. answer when you give it to that person. When you, you can, can show that you respond with confidence. And, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's been System Minus Trivia. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. I'm Pete. See you around. I've turned to metal, to tungsten, to stay mild. My emotions have settled. I promise I'm turning down the dial. But you left me cold, cold. Your heart was already stolen.